Today, we have to talk about manga. It is no secret that manga has been burning up the charts, especially with the youth audience, the last 10, 15 years. And manga shows no signs of slowing down whatsoever. We go back to when manga first burst into the Western comic book scene. Titles like Akira, Appleseed, Dominion, Ghost in the Shell, they broke down the door and and paved the way for Naruto, for My Hero Academia, for Attack on Titan. It is so fun looking at the history of manga and anime and how it is shaping comics, movies, the culture, and all that is yet to come. We finally get to manga today on an all-new Robservations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Robservations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Thank you so much for listening. Let me give, give you a little background on your host. Uh, I have been working in comic books for 37 years. Hired at the tender age of 18 years old, currently 55 years old. Yep, you get 37 years. So excited to have taken this journey as a professional in the comic book industry, but the podcast begins my journey at, at, at seven years old, pulling these comic books off the spinner rack, watching the incredible uh, worlds that they have inspired. The comic books of my youth have been the bedrock for almost every single film that you've seen coming out. Infinity War, I was a, I was a professional when that comic book was coming out. The, the, the characters and the stories in the Scarlett Johansson solo movie, uh, Black Widow, that, that stuff came out when I was a teenager. Uh, Master of Kung Fu called uh, Shang-Chi in, in the films that came out a couple years back. Uh, the Shang-Chi film, he was blowing up when I was a kid in the 70s and carried all the way through the 80s. Uh, the Eternals launched 1976. I was there. I was pulling that off the spinner rack by the genius that is Jack Kirby. So much of these films, so much of what you're seeing is, is stuff that, that happened when I was a customer, when I was a, 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 a fan, you know, mowing lawns, doing my best to save as much as I possibly could to buy as many comic books as I possibly could. Fortunate enough, again, at 18 years old to break into the business, to make it my career. I can't wait till I'm in the business 50 years, 60 years. I plan on always making comic books until uh, my dying breath. And this podcast celebrates comic books and all of their successes across all platforms. Today, we are going to tackle one of my favorite topics, and I can't believe it took this long to just embrace it, give it a big, giant hug, put, put my arms completely around it. It is the topic of manga. Manga. Manga has exploded. You, you just have to walk into your current book dealer and they've given a bigger section to manga, manga than they have to American comics, to Western comics. The manga section in every bookstore I go to is the predominant graphic novel section. Currently, in the Barnes & Nobles that I frequent, there's, uh, there's one across, an, a really nice one here in Orange County, uh, in, in Santa Ana, across from the Main Place Mall. That has they have they have moved all of the DVDs and the laser discs out and given that entire section over to manga and given maybe twenty five percent of what's left to the remaining DVDs and, and 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 LPs that they were selling and then literally Western comic books have a shelf Marvel and DC get well one like four shelves up against the wall everything else it's like an island that you wander around A to Z all of the manga titles at the Barnes and Noble at the Irvine Spectrum, one of the biggest outdoor entertainment mall centers uh, that, that has gone up in my lifetime here in Southern California and Irvine uh, houses one of the most popular, most the, the busiest movie theater in the area and the largest IMAX screen in Southern California. The only bigger IMAX screen and it's like by a foot is in Northern California in San Francisco. So the, the Spectrum, if you've been there, you know how incredibly, insanely packed with people that it is. That Barnes & Noble, the same. They, they took all the DVD, the LPs, they, they basically pushed them to the outer like walls, and now the, the center of the section, again, a giant island of shelves that you have to navigate around, uh, is the manga. Over, way over, uh, in, in, in the corner on the far wall are the four shelves for the Western comic book 
publishers and their graphic novels. I mean, manga is just dominating. It affected me as a kid when I, I, I saw my first manga in the comic book store uh, in, in Fullerton. Now, the interesting thing, let me tell you something about my very, very first comic book store, because this actually ties into uh, the other night we were going to see uh, my, my, my son is part of an ensemble cast of a new show called Wolfpack. And Wolfpack uh, is a brand new show. It's like superheroes meets supernatural. I'm telling you, don't don't be too quick to put it in any sort of box. It will absolutely blow you away. The uh, theater that we went and saw the premiere in was the Harmony Gold Theater. And... Harmony Gold has a really interesting background that ties directly into into my childhood. The Wolfpack premiere was held at a theater called the Harmony Gold. The Harmony Gold Theater. And my wife uh, said, what is Harmony Gold? And I was like, interestingly enough, this has a direct correlation to my youth and and the, the comic store that I grew up frequenting because generally now... On Tuesday nights, because comics, the DC comics are released early, we eat downtown Fullerton, and there's a comic book store, comic book hideout, huge shout out, great store. It's uh, it's just adjacent down the street from where there has always literally been a comic book store presence in Fullerton since I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was called Fantasy Comics, or Fantasy Illustrators, or Fantasy Comics Illustrated, but that was the first storefront that I saw with comic book stores because I had found it in the yellow pages, the phone book. And, and people who are like, what's a phone book? You used to get one dropped on your doorstep. Every family got one and it had every you know phone number of everybody A to Z in the area, including businesses. They, they then split them up and made a business one, a personal one. But by flipping through the phone book for used books, I came upon comic book stores. And so again, in 19, late 1980, early 1981, my dad drove me to Fullerton to this to this uh, address, uh, which again, some of you have heard the story where I first was trying to find it and went to Fantasy, still on Harbor Boulevard, but that was a porn store. And when I came and emerged on the other side of the beads after parking my bike, I had never seen so many. Uh, I, it, it was my introduction <laughs> at uh, at twelve <laughs> at twelve years old. To um, you know, to to dildos and sex toys and bondage stuff, and they looked at me like, "Kid, what are you doing in here?" I'm like, "I came here for the comic books," <laughs> and they were quickly like, "Hey, this isn't—we don't do comics here." And I'm like, "Wait, what? What is wrong? How did I get to the wrong address?" Well, I I biked home and you know tried again the next Saturday. This time, my dad drove me, and we came up on this comic book store, and in it was a man. There was three guys behind the counter. They were all adults, older than me. I would put them in their late 20s, early 30s, each and every one of them, uh, probably late 20s. And uh, they all had ponytails, long hair. Uh, and and it was the first time I, I realized that all the comic books of my youth were now bagged and boarded. They were on walls. They were on shelves. I asked to see some of them. I couldn't believe the prices on them. This was like, whoa, you mean my quarter comics that Mrs. Doney threw away when I loaned them to my friend Nathan because she thought they were possessed of the devil? I can't get these for a quarter now. I have to pay like $10, $15 from, you know, for comics from 1976. Super, super aware, slightly frustrating experience for me. But uh, there was a gentleman behind the counter. His name was Carl Masek. He said that, he goes, yeah, this is my store, kid. Now, again, I don't know if he shared it with the other guys, if he was just a manager. But this is the first time I encountered manga because I had never uh, seen Captain Harlock or or Macross, or Robotech, or any of that stuff. And there they were in, in, in comic book form with, with Japanese text that I couldn't read, but I love the pictures. And he kind of gave me, a, I, I'm like, can you tell me what, what this is? And none of these guys really particularly liked dealing with young, uh, young people. I, I, it was a Saturday uh, when they were probably the busiest, but the one thing I distinctly remembered was they just didn't like dealing with young customers. And uh, it was at this store that I would be introduced to so much the, the, the early 
editions of ElfQuest that I have mentioned to you guys prior to this. Comic book magazines, the direct market, whoa, stuff that comic book stores got that 7-Eleven and, and, and the Foodland didn't. But he introduced me to my first manga. Now, here's the deal. Carl Masek would leave. That comic book store would get sold. It would become Latos Brothers to a man and his two sons. The Latos Brothers would buy the store that Masek and his buddies worked out of. And then that would later in the late 80s become Adventureland, that exact same spot it is now, a hot dog store on Harbor Boulevard, if you can believe it. But down the street now is Comic Book Hideout. And, uh, you know, Comic Book Mania, Comic Mania was just a, just adjacent, uh, basically right in the center of where, you know, Fantasy Comics Illustrated, Lados Brothers, and Comic Book Hideout. Uh, sorry, later Adventureland, where that what location was, and now Comic Book Hideout, Comic Mania in the '90s was right in between them all. So this this area of Fullerton has always thrived. Comic Castle was actually behind all of those, just by a block. I mean, Com- Fullerton has always had a giant comic book presence. Carl Masick went to Cal State Fullerton. He's an honored alum. He went went on to work with a company called Harmony Gold, becoming a key part of their entire strategy as he uh, would go on to uh, license, not license, but he got the rights and was assigned to Robotech. He, uh, He really literally became suddenly the comic book clerk guy that turned me on to manga and anime was the guy that worked with Harmony Gold to produce Robotech here in North America. And uh, Cap- he, he again, he uh, produced Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years. Space Pirate Captain Harlock was the stuff they were adapting. But I'm like, that's the guy with the mustache and the pullback hair. I'd seen him at comic book conventions prior to his Harmony Gold breakthrough. But he became a powerful sp- uh, spokesperson for Harmony Gold. And with Harmony Gold, uh, he put put forth all this anime and really was a seminal figure in bringing anime to North America. Now, my experience with anime goes back to the same time that I was pulling comic books off the rack in 1974-75 as the UHF channel, Channel 54 in Southern California. Every morning and every afternoon had a huge catalog of Japanese cartoons and shows that I would watch uh, Giant Robot, also the cartoon Giant Robo, Ultraman. Simba, the White Lion, I got to know all of these uh, on my little television set in my house in Anaheim on Broadway by activating the UHF early in the morning. I saw Battle of the Planets eventually, which was an adaptation of a Japanese manga uh, manga and anime called Gotcha Man. And uh, trust me, I, I, I can sing that Battle of the Planets song at, at a heartbeat. I can, I can hum it. It is an amazing score. It is, it is up there with like the very best of John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith, if you ask me. It's magnificent. It's fantastic. But so I was aware of of the anime and manga drawings, illustration style. I identified it as I've talked to you guys in my previous episodes concerning John Byrne and the rise that he had in comic books roughly at the same time. John Byrne gave people, specifically women, big anime eyes. That was the first thing that I had seen separating, you know, Western cartoons from Eastern cartoons was the depiction of the faces, the eyes, the noses, the mouths. I mean, it was a very distinct, different approach than what I was getting from, say, the Tarzan cartoon or the Batman cartoon, the Super Friends cartoon. And it was cool. I was really drawn into it. And and, and again, you know, I was used to watching these cartoons. Now, now, Giant Robot, Johnny Sacco and his Giant Robot and uh, Ultraman were live action, but they were stunning. I mean, I, again, watch them. And, 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 and most of these I'm watching in black and white. We didn't get a color television until like late, late seventies. And again, my dad was a pastor working on a pastor's uh, salary, but the, the antennas, man, you get, you got them in the right position and, and, and the UHF channel, uh, you clicked, you clicked over again. There was no cable. There's no cable. You had to do everything through, through the rabbit ears, the antennas, but I would get a sharp black and white picture. And I was entertained by all of these uh, Japanese cartoons. And of course, when the credits are rolling, in, Je- in in Japanese, you understand. I'm watching kind of a licensed foreign import, uh, import export. So so again, I I understood 
that, that this was done overseas and I was getting it on this UHF channel and it was great. But Carl Masick at his comic book store in Fullerton and again told me to himself and, and when I would um, talk to him later in my career, I'd say, hey, Carl, I remember my first comic book store was yours. And he goes, yeah, kid. Yeah, kid. That was fun. That was fun. But he had then become a very important animation producer working alongside Harmony Gold. Cut to, we are at the Harmony Gold Theater for the Wolfpack premiere uh, the, the night before, uh, or, or j- just this last week. And and I explained to my wife how how I kind of, the reason I knew about all the Harmony Gold stuff was because of Carl Mason. Now, Carl passed in 2010. Uh, been gone many years now, but was a pioneer, but also was my, you know, the guy that rang up my comics in my very first comic store business, my, 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 <laughs> my very first comic store visit. Uh, man, I am, I am fumbling words today. Uh, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited about this topic of manga and kind of laying the groundwork from there. Again, I am always hunting manga and my primary place to find it was at the comic book store. And as the 80s rolled on, there was more and more and more. And the stuff that turned me on the most was the stuff from Masumini. Masum, I, I want to say this right, but I'm gonna, I know I'm going to butcher it. Masumuni Shiro. Shiro is like the rock star Jack Kirby of, of, of manga with Ghost in the Shell, Dominion, and Appleseed. And each and every one of those was a treasure to me. I treasured each and every edition I got. Uh, full stop. I've, I've talked about it on uh, on different podcasts where I, I, t- I talk about the creation of Cable. Cable is adorned in uh, Masamuni Shiro's gear tech. Check any of those books out and you'll go, that's why Liefeld got it. I, I wear my influences on my sleeve. I always have. And it was stuff that nobody in American comics was doing. And I was all too happy to put that influence directly into the Western comic books that I was producing. Uh, the original impact that Appleseed and Dominion and Ghost in the Shell and Dirty Pear uh, uh, and, and, of course, Akira had on my peer group, it cannot be understated, the, the, uh, the impact. Akira was making the rounds in the art house circuit. Uh, <clears throat> In the late 80s, I want to I want to say that it was 1989, 1988. Forgive me if I'm if I'm off uh, by a year, but Akira, okay, it's 1988, was coming to specialty art houses. It wasn't a big general block blockbuster. It wasn't going to be down at the normal Cineplex. And uh, being in Southern California, Orange County has some great art house theaters that really only show the smaller uh, fare and still do. And my wife and I have been going to a theater adjacent to the uh, South Coast Plaza for pretty much our entire like existence of our relationship because th- they had um, the the uh, animation festivals and uh, they would show this at the uh, at at the different. Um, Spike and Mike's animation festivals have been showing short films and animated, uh, you know, animated shorts. Some of them are stop motion, claymation, you know, traditional. Those those festivals would come come around once a year, and this theater in particular, movie theater down by South Coast Plaza, adjacent to South Coast Plaza, uh, was has again been. Uh, the the dedicated site for that through my youth and in my my, my teenage years I, I again I Joy and I went to the very first one when when she was seventeen and and I was nineteen and then we just kind of kept going uh, ever since um, and this again this I'm I'm proud to say so far uh, that this theater still exists because again w- without it um, I, I wouldn't have have been able to see so many of these smaller uh smaller pictures uh <clears throat> the regency theater is adjacent to the south coast plaza and it is the 
just just full of great memories for me and in so many of the small films that I've seen there. And Akira was showing there, and Jim Valentino said, "Hey, why don't you, me, and some buddies go see the uh, you know midnight showing or the late late show of Akira tonight? I hear it's you know incredible." And we had seen the newspaper ads and some of the limited press they were doing. So we went and saw Akira and settled into our seats in this tiny theater that, again, still exists adjacent to the South Coast Plaza, the Regency Theater. And our minds were just blown. It was, our, our minds were absolutely blown by what we saw. Di- um, directed by Katushiro Otomo. Honestly, I, I, I tell my, my, my son all the time, Akira is the is really the, the, the film that blew, up, blew open the doors for everything that would follow in terms of the, the explosion of manga and anime that, that, that hit the United States. If you've seen Akira, you've seen how gripping, how detailed, how uh, the, the, the sheer spectacle. It's got great characters. It's got great humor. And, and man, those, those giant conflicts, especially the, the, the last one, um, is just, it, it, it's just every time I see it, I feel like I'm watching it for the first time. Certainly the depictions of the characters and of course kind of, you know, one of the most famous uh you know the the, the imagery of the red the red motorbike um you know is is uh is is what really you know ignites everyone's imagination when you see that you immediately go akira 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 you know it's uh <clears throat> it's tets it's the really the story of canada and tetsuo and uh again i don't want to blow it for you if you haven't seen it by all means please see it as soon as you can you will not uh regret it i have all of the special edition laserdisc dvds you know the high-res stuff it, it is it's still just completely um i would embarrass myself if i started imitating the movie because i'd be probably breaking all sorts of you know, sens- sensitivity clauses because my, my imitations would be seen as not, not appropriate, but I hear that in my mouth, in my, <laughs> I hear that in my head as I'm sharing this with you guys, because the excitement is back. And I remember watching, walking out of the theater, you know, after midnight with Valentino and the others. And, and again, this is when Jim and I were sharing a studio and just going, what did we just see that like is next level in terms of animation. And, uh, Marvel had started to do the graphic novels. Uh, they were they were serializing the Akira manga from Japan, and so it was available to you know all of the Marvel fans because through their Epic Illustrated they were bringing you the manga, which again is next level in terms of detail, uh, rendering, character design, uh, spectacle, just sheer you know the magnitude of the detail. And this is when I realized. And understood that manga was produced by studios and there were background artists and there were technical people who drew the bikes, people who drew the faces, layout guys, ink guys. It was, it was fascinating. It was really what pushed myself, Jim Lee, others to create studios because we were so inspired by what we were learning, what was happening over in the, uh, you know, the Eastern space with all these different studios just do, and, and doing it for manga, putting an animated studio approach to printed comic books, manga. and. You know, over here, we're, we're, it is unlikely that you'll get six, seven guys to touch a page and be silent and just let one guy have his name. But over in Japan, that's really continues to very much be the case. All hands on deck, uh, junior assistants, assistants join in completing the vision of the master kind of storyteller. Well, again, between the Shiro work of Dominion and Bastard and Appleseed and my consumption of that. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I not bastard. Dominion, Ghost in the Shell, Appleseed. Because my favorite of all of them, after the having my mind blown by Akira and buying again, once I knew Marvel was putting it out, I knew I had to get to the Japanese uh, adaptations first. I didn't want to wait for the serialization. Lo and behold, you guys, completely by accident. Again, thanks to the directory, the phone book. Again, there is no iPhones. There is no Google at this time. In the late 80s, I find that there is a uh, Korean marketplace with a Korean bookstore that carries all of this stuff. Uh, Korean manga, Japanese manga, Chinese manga adjacent, still there to the South Coast Plaza. And they have a book, they had a bookstore. And I went in there and I probably dropped, 
about $1,000 on giant phone book size manga, mini manga. Just whoa. Again, this is the stuff that was really, you know, propelling me and my art form as I had transitioned from uh, DC to Marvel and I was starting to work on the the, the New Mutants books, the, com- the, the, the X-Force comics. Uh, and and I couldn't believe wow and and of course I would I would ask if are are there more like these and and then the clerk at the Korean market told me well there was another one near Los Angeles and there was another one you know in the San Gabriel Valley so suddenly I am driving all over collecting different editions of manga this is again before what what I, what, what I call the the late nineties explosion of Dragon Ball. Uh, uh, Dr- Dragon Ball of uh, Naturo of uh, uh, you know just just all of the um, of, of Pokemon. I mean, because because when those when that when those arrive, everything just blows, just completely blows up. And uh, the uh, my, my son even says, "Dad, you're not saying it, like because he's a huge Naturo fan, and he tells me that I'm saying it wrong." all the time, but whatever I, I am here. I think we've all seen that. I am not above uh, embarrassing myself, even telling you that I hear sounds in my mouth as I did a few minutes ago. Uh, before that explosion in the nineties, early two thousands to where it is now. Again, we are living in the dominion of the dominion of dominion of ghost in the shell of apple seed. And then of course, what I am telling you right now, what became my favorite, my absolute favorite, was bastard bastard had badass big giant swords sorcery but it was like it was like steampunk uh heavy metal manga fantasy manga it is by a gentleman named kazushi hagawara when i saw my first bastard i literally bought like 20 volumes right there right there and then and I thought, oh my gosh, what is this new secret sauce that I have that no one's ever heard? Bastard! There was a best-selling novel that became a miniseries in the 70s called Bastard, about a bastard. And it was like Revolutionary War era, like had this really handsome you know, actor. And I remember going, Bastard, the only other time I heard of this was this TV miniseries. But now I've got this killer manga sorcery steampunk heavy metal fantasy giant swords i mean and uh, i thrilled to these adventures and it was and remains my favorite manga just edging out battle seed ever so slightly but bastard was something that i was quick to share with everyone if you came into my office whether it was by myself uh <clears throat> when i was sharing a studio with jim valentino or later in the uh Later at Extreme Studios, I was quick to show you Bastard. They were prominently displayed on my my bookshelf. The thing about these great Korean market places is I was able to share them with so many other guys. Mar- Marat Michaels, Dan Frega. Um, later on, as I've said here before, uh, 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 we, we hired a kid off his samples. His name was Pat Lee. He came from Canada. He had never seen manga before. He is only a Marvel and DC junkie. And I was like, wow, Pat is of Korean descent, but I am exposing him to his first proper Korean bookstore in the United States. And of course he did what everyone does. He suddenly, you know, spends hundreds of dollars, you know, putting as much manga in his basket as he possibly can and heads to the register and has his mind blown. In fact, Pat Lee, who I would say was more on course to start drawing like Jim Lee when I hired him overnight said, I'm going to draw like this now. I'm going to draw like this manga that I am exposing myself to. Some of the guys, including Stephen Platt, who I exposed to this stuff, would blow up overnight. He would use our extreme copy machine. We had a couple of them. And 11 by 17s of all of the black and white pages, he, all, he practically wallpapered his, his, his office at extreme. You would walk in and from head to toe was bastard, blown up, 11 by 17. Incredible imagery, incredibly act, incredible action. And we're going to get to... The, the really the true aesthetic of why manga was breaking out at the time for me wasn't just the designs and the gear and the tech. That is a huge part of it. But it is the page design. It is the page design and the dedication 
that manga has to action, just pure and simple action, movement, motion. They are dedicated to it. You're never, ever really going to see some of these successful, uh, you know, manga and anime uh, do 20 pages of talking head. What they're going to do is they're going to rock your socks off and it's going to be bloody and it's going to be R-rated violence and it's going to be hardcore action, the likes of which you have not traditionally gotten in Western comic books. But here I think I'm the only guy digesting this and it was about the third time that I saw Todd McFarlane at a convention that we hit on Akira. And he was with his, um, at at time, he had an assistant, at at the time, an assistant named Terry Fitzgerald. Terry would go on to wear many different business hats in the Todd McFarlane company as the toys uh, in the in the HBO cartoon took off, but at this time Terry was just a guy having lunch with us, and, and Terry Terry talked like this a little. He and Todd talk a little bit like the same, but but Terry was a little more upbeat. And uh, oh, Rob, you you see the Kira? And Todd would go, Terry took me to see Akira. Have you seen? And I'm like, we saw Akira. Valentino and I saw. Oh, bud, bud. And from once you get the bud, bud, then like. We've hit the apex of excitement explosion as far as Todd McFarlane is concerned and myself. And we gushed over Akira and manga in general because it pivots again from Akira then to manga. And Todd's like, I'm I'm, I'm checking out some of that manga. That manga is incredible. The work they're doing. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I'm telling him about my obsession with Dominion and my obsession with, uh, you know, Appleseed, not not shared to just put all the cards on the table and tell you exactly what is rocking my world. He's sharing the same, all the stuff that he digs. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have to check that Appleseed out. That sounds good. And uh, I mean, come on. It's like super SWAT with robots. How do you not like Appleseed? I mean, again, if you see it, you're going to see this is like Liefeld was all over this stuff. Of course I was. I have never, ever shied away again. I wear my influences heavily on my sleeve. I carried a lot of it into Youngblood as well and everything I did after after and to this day. So now I know Todd's into it as well. Well, Eric Larson, he's into it to the point where I'm at WonderCon. He's like, have you seen Berserker? And I was like, or or Berserk? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, you got to check out Berserk. You got to check out Berserk. And he exposes me to Berserk. And then he goes, have you seen Fist of North Star? And I'm like, I haven't seen Fist of North Star. And, he, and he's like, this is, this is Eric Larson's pitch to me on Fist of North Star. It's this guy wandering like an apocalyptic lands, landscape. And like every 20 feet, he fights a new monster. And they, he battles it, defeats it, and then keeps walking. And then a new monster attacks him. And I'm like, I'm sold. And I remember getting on that plane at that probably 1989, probably 1989 uh WonderCon with a uh, bag full of fist of north star again thank you to eric larson so larson myself and mcfarland were completely keyed into the manga and we were looking for ways to ap- apply it into our own work and if you look at todd's amazing spider-man and his spider-man series and if you look at what eric larson was doing on spider-man and 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 thereafter at the time and if you look at what i was doing on 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 what if wolverine was an agent of shield um my annuals and then uh new mutants and x-force i am applying this incredible manga aesthetic that no one else was doing. If you go back to when we were breaking out, and I've talked about this all the time, what, 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 what we did at Image and the reason, the, the Image guys, if you say the Image 7 and really it, it starts with Eric, myself, and, and Todd, what we were doing was applying the aesthetic that we saw on these pages, no matter where they were for, from, Dominion, Ghost in the Shell, Appleseed, Bastard, uh, you know, Fist of North Star, Berserk. We were applying that aesthetic to our Marvel comic book work. And, I, and I'm telling you that what was going on at the time, um, guys who were doing monthly work for Marvel, all competent illustrators, you know, very attractive in the way they drew. Uh, I'm talking of Paul Ryan. I am talking of Ron Friends. Uh, I am, uh, I mean, at this point, you know, John Byrne is back doing West Coast Avengers. He's doing Namor. Uh, I mean, you've you've still got George Perez, who's who's going off of his uh, established style of storytelling, like 20, 19, 17, 15 panels on a page. Trust me, I bought some of his artwork again, and no one put 15 panels on a page and made it quick like George. But none of these artists, Paul Ryan was doing, you know, uh, 
Fantastic Four. Uh, he was doing West Coast Avengers. Ron Friends was doing Thor, Spider-Man. Uh, I mean, all over the place. Uh, some Captain America. You had guys like Karen Dwyer, who was doing Captain America. Uh, you had, you know, you had just come off another extended run of John Buscema on the proper Avengers title, which was then later handed off again to Paul Ryan. Um, Steve Epting. These were the kind of the guys that were coming in and doing the work that we were doing. I mean, doing the work at the same time that we were doing the work. But they were all what I call traditional grid guys. You still had Sal Buscema. You still had some of these um, carryovers from the 70s and 80s who were still obviously churning out great work, but it was very traditional. It was very still uh, six-panel grids, eight-panel grids, four-panel grids. And we talked about, we started breaking those borders and designing pages along a manga influence. And when I'm talking about that, and I can tell you right now, because I was at the Barnes & Noble buying Christmas presents mid-December at the Irvine Spectrum waiting in a huge line of people who are all purchasing armful, uh, arms full of manga. And uh, I bought a manga called Blue Lock. Blue Lock uh, is by, I'm going to say the last names, Kenishiro and Nomura. It's beautiful. It is a soccer themed manga the twisted soccer sensation finally comes to to print on the back it says an absolutely gripping storyline turning a simple game of soccer into a pulse-pounding face-off full of tension and drama this is sports manga cranked up to 11 says aipt blue lock it's a soccer book i've got probably 600 pages of this in front of me right now. Blue Lock. It's guys playing soccer. It's giant. It's exciting. There's movement. There's motion. There's giant figures running at you with soccer balls. There's, there's you know, guys charging at you with the ball in front of them. Blocks, kicks, giant talking heads. Um, you know, I mean, if, 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 if you think watching soccer is, is interesting and fun, these guys going off trying to score and, and, and defend the net at the same time. This is riveting artwork. Yes. Soccer. Yes. Soccer. Soccer. This, these soccer game books, the blue lock are more exciting than any Marvel or DC comic that you can find right now. And I was just at the comic store right now. I mean, uh, last night, (laughs) many, many just, just bear with me. This is a weekend. Uh, this is a weekend podcast. And, uh, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to make complete sense today, but I was at the comic book store yesterday. I will put anything that I saw there up against this manga and it will not be as action oriented as this manga. It's dynamic soccer. I am buying soccer manga. I bought basketball manga. I talked to Robert Kirkman about basketball manga like 20 years ago. I mean, this stuff moves. There is an emphasis on action, on motion. And maybe you can say posing because when the image guy started doing it and Todd started giving, just like this guy charging at me with a soccer ball, soccer ball is, uh, is taking up three quarters of the page. Todd McFarlane would take three quarters of a page up with a Spider-Man swinging at you. I would take three quarters of a page with Cable firing a giant mecha- mechanical gun out of a helicopter across a double page spread in New Mutants 88. We, we were applying back then the stuff that we were seeing in the pages of the manga that we were enjoying, and we were putting that aesthetic onto our pages. And you know who responded? You did. You guys. You started buying our stuff more than you were buying any of the rest of the stuff. If I was able to rescue a book like New Mutants, which again, I was looking through the omnibuses recently, I had forgotten about the bird brain era. About, I mean, again, if you ever doubt that my aesthetic was completely different than the aesthetic that had come before me on New Mutants, look at the stories that you were getting prior. The Louise Simonson, Brett Blevins, New Mutants were giving you bird brain and, and, and issues with Doug Ramsey and they bird brain looked like big bird, an orange version of big bird from Sesame street. And he suddenly became the aesthetic focus of the book. I mean, literally large storylines were, were given to a guy who looked like a bird. And, and I, 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 I just, I remember at this time going, this isn't for me. It's like school kids, uh, uh trying to, to, to keep their bird friend in line. It was, it was a different aesthetic than what I craved from a New Mutants book in, in, in the sense that the Art Adams New Mutant Annual was just pounding in my head and how dynamic they had been portrayed there. Now, you know, 
Obviously, they were up in Asgard and battling the gods and trolls and, and giant sandworms. But regardless, it was just a different aesthetic. And these books that I'm talking to you about, they are polished. They are inked by Terry Austin, these bird brain comics. But again, it wasn't this action-oriented, military, you know, uh, cyber warrior-driven cable-themed stories that I was giving you. So again, that aesthetic is completely different than the one that you were getting prior to me. Todd's aesthetic on Spider-Man was completely different. Eric immediately was able to um, give, give that same aesthetic when he went on, even on his Punisher work that he was doing right before Spider-Man. This stuff just flat out rocked the fans. They, they showed up. They started making New Mutants a bestseller, which it was not. Spider-Man, they, they, they put Spider-Man in contention with X-Men. And by the time Jim comes on, Jim slowly starts you know, realizing, you know, the big pictures, the big pictures, and he, it clicks and those pages start to sing and they become some of the best work, if not the best work that he's ever done. Jim realizes, oh yeah, big figures, launching action movement and our detractors back then. I'm telling you, they said, oh, those guys are posing. They're posing all their fake. They're posing. They're pandering. They're pandering with poses. Yep. Just like the, uh, couple hundred dollars with a manga that I bought a few days ago, okay? Because I keep going back to Barnes & Noble. Let's see what else I'm into right now. Right now, I'm into Kaiju number eight. My son freaked out when he saw I had this. My son, who was 20 years old. Now, my uh, my son, as I told you earlier, is, and I've mentioned many times, my youngest son is 100% all in on Naruto, on Attack on Titan, on My Hero Academia, the other prior in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, he said, dad, you have to sit down and you have to watch Chainsaw Man with me. And we called it up on Hulu and we watched Chainsaw Man. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can totally see why you get this. And it's a guy who, you know, gets possessed and and, and has a chainsaw as a face and literally is cutting off people's arms and limbs. And it is R-rated. It is, it is, is almost x-rated action that nc-17 moniker that they came up with the 90s i mean it belongs on some of this manga but you understand why kids are swept up in this i have generous amounts of attack on titan manga and my hero academia and naruto i actually was into naruto before my son was because that was kind of the early 2000s and i was starting to buy those because they had so much great karate action and did they have posing and aesthetics and designs of pages with giant talking heads and people kicking it you know, flying through the air, kicking at you. Yes, that's why I bought them. I am into motion and movement. And the comics that I loved growing up were the guys that did that the best. I've talked about Frank Miller and Walt Simonson and Howard Chaikin. And that's the kind of design elements that they were bringing you. But we turned that up to 11. Bigger, bolder than ever before. And look, the industry eventually, you know, followed that aesthetic. But the aesthetic is just a part of it. But absolutely, and we're going to circle back to this. This is the element that I believe is separating manga from Western comics at this time. Some other books that I'm in, uh, enjoying right now, Overlord, Kingdoms of Ruin, uh, Chronicle of the Cursed Sword. I mean, honestly, if your character's brandishing a sword, I'm buying it. If your character in manga is brandishing a big gun, I'm sold. I'm all in. So this is the kind of really the groundwork of, of how manga affected my peer group. And that was just the very beginning that the, the, the truly the best was yet to come because when my son has said, when Chase goes, dad, let's watch my hero academia. I'm like, okay, he's gotten my other son, Luke addicted to it. Luke Liefeld became drawn to attack on Titan and my hero academia because of his brother. His brother is proselytizing, uh, uh, manga and anime. I mean, preaching it, converting. That's why you have these kids showing up to Barnes and Noble. It's catching, it's taking. What is it? It's people with superpowers and struggles and giant conspiracy theories and literally, you know, giants that will eat you in Attack on Titan and, and, and soldiers, you know, in these fortified, you know, compounds, cities, defending themselves from these giant titans. I mean, you guys, manga has not relented on the action. And when comics went to this talking head format where, hey, all of you want to be screenwriters, come on in and write your screenplays and 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 try and, you know, become the next David Mamet and, and the next Quentin Tarantino and, and do it on our dime and we'll indulge you and, and, and we'll call it, you know, 
uh, constipated storytelling or whatever Bill Jemis was calling it way back when. Um, we'll do that. When that was happening, Naruto was exploding. Dragon Ball was having its third act. Okay. You know, it's on its sixth act right now. Uh, and again, when, when, when the guys at Extreme turned me on to Dragon Ball, so it was time for me to be turned on to something instead of turning them on. Instead of me sharing Bastard and Appleseed and Dominion and, and Dirty Pair and, and Ghost in the Shell, they're like, check out this Dragon Ball. And it's all these people fighting in the sky. I mean, you know, it's these superpowered God-level beings, you know, blasting each other, flying into each other, popping. I mean... I got a Dragon Ball vibe from Man of Steel, which is why I think it resonated with a certain audience because Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, that final battle with Zod and Superman was very much ripped from the kind of action that you would see in Dragon Ball and then now in My Hero Academia. People, huge downshot up in the clouds to see the people standing above the cities that are hundreds of feet below them. That's the kind of scope that you're getting on My Hero Academia. And again, that huge scope... Chase Liefeld, Luke Liefeld, they freak out for for this this anime. And yes, do they also have it in manga format? They do. Chase's, you know, bookshelves are only manga. He doesn't have a single Marvel or DC comic on his shelf. It is 100% manga driven. As a matter of fact, it was about four years ago that I walked in with these giant, thick, hardcover uh, manga. I mean, they were hundreds of pages thick couple of different editions i had just picked them up and i put them down on my shelf and chase wandered into my studio so he's probably 16 years old and he goes dad you have vinland saga i said yeah vinland saga is crazy great i mean it's manga about vikings okay it's 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 vikings valhalla on steroids because they're jumping higher cutting deeper uh there's a recent i mean every vinland saga has just kick-ass, dedicated 30, 40, 50 pages of relentless action. If it's a guy with a bow and arrow, it's 30, 40 pages of him jumping in every direction, driving arrows into people's heads, eyes, necks, chests, thighs. Uh, if it's a guy with a crossbow, the same. Guy with a sword, you know, dedicated sword play. Then, you know, carving people's arms and legs off, you know, cutting their heads off. You guys, manga is dedicated to movement, motion, the display of superpowers, relentless action. And, and it, it, it is something that I believe that we have forgotten to portray uh, in a way that is as graphic as, as the manga audience has done. So again, myself, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Jim Lee, we all start applying these manga principles to our own American Western work. And and that is really the first time you saw a group of artists because it wasn't happening before. John Buscema and Sal Buscema and Jack Kirby and 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 George Perez and Jim Starlin weren't doing this. Now, John Byrne was actually doing, like I said, the anime style faces. And he was the first that I really recognized that. But he wasn't putting these manga aesthetics. Again, that was, were, were shared across all of the artists, whether it was Akira or, again, I'm just cracking right now, randomly cack, crackling cracking open dominion and there it is giant superimposed figure over over um different panels you know uh, uh massive tech suits crashing into each other double pagers of, of 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 robots charging you i mean this is just a random flipping of of a, of a dominion that i have right over here because I, I i decided to you know stack up these books as i talked to you about them but i mean giant screaming heads i mean again when they're in action they're yelling and you can see some of what we're giving to you you can see, in, in, in especially when we portray a character like a Wolverine and the way we have him fairly screaming and yelling, uh, is, is the way that we kind of see the manga anime approach to that. So image really honked that horn as hard and as long and as loud as it could be honked, whether you were aware of it or not. And we've always been very you know open about it. I go back, I look at old interviews, whether it was in, uh, you know, you know, the CBG or it was in comic scene or it was in wizard or hero illustrator. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm totally into anime and manga. That was a huge influence on me. Um, along with the same dynamics of Jack Kirby. I always felt like right around middle of the first year of image. I was really, you know, in my laboratory, I was putting Kirby and manga together as successfully as I possibly could. The speed lines were another obvious sign when you saw those. 
I incorporated them. Todd incorporated them. Eric, Jim, again, we were all taking these things that we would see from manga and putting them in our Western comic books. And again, you as the deciding factor powered us, you know, to the top of the charts and, and kept us there for a very long time. But the next guy that I would see that would embrace the manga manifest as, as, as devoted as I would ever see anyone do it is a, is a gentleman named Joe Madiera. Now, maybe Joe Madiera. Sorry, Joe. I'm going to, from this point on, I'm just going to call you the way you sign your name, Joe Mad. Happy to have known, known, been with, done a, a small amount of work with Joe Mad. He, like myself, was hired as a teenager to draw comic books. Uh, Art Adams was the first guy that I had heard that was hired in his teens. I, I really desperately wanted to break in in my teens, and I did at 18. And then Joe Madiera was drawing comics at, as, a, as an 18-year-old for Marvel and quickly made his mark on the X-Men. And I'm going to tell you right now, again, a non-conventional approach. Everybody, when Jim Lee left, were trying to draw the comics like Jim Lee, the the, the Kuberts and, and Brandon Peterson while he was there. Um, everybody was really taking this kind of Jim Lee aesthetic and trying to make that happen, 92, 93, 94. Well, fresh off a Deadpool miniseries that uh, Joe Mad had done, which was fantastic. <clears throat> and I was like, wow, this kid is is a little bit of Art Adams, a whole lot of manga. I can see where this guy's going to pop. And I've told him that's one of my favorite renditions of, of Deadpool ever. People always go, what, who's your favorite? It's Joe Mad. I mean, it, it's, it, there's, there's nobody um, <laughs> outside of myself who I enjoy to see their Deadpool. Uh, Joe Mad did Deadpool, blew up. You know, the work excited everybody. And again, for me, seeing Joe Mad portray Deadpool and Garrison Kane, and, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I'm going to get to that. <clears throat> and, uh, Don, you know, Vanessa and, and Zero and all my different characters. It was, it, it was exciting. Bob Harris then took this very manga-influenced artist and put him on Marvel's most mainstream book, X-Men. Again, from, from transitioning the X-Men from Silvestri to Jim Lee uh, on X-Factor, from, from Paul Smith to Will Spertaccio, from Brett Blevins to Rob Liefeld, uh, from, from, you know, John B. Sema to Mark Silvestri on Wolverine. Bob Harris was a visionary, visionary editor who was not made, uh, not scared. He was a visionary editor who was not scared to make really bold moves. And it created this incredible wave of success as far as the X-Men books were concerned. Well, then he broke through and did it again and put Joe Matt on the X-Men. And he was the exact energy and pop that that book needed. And that manga anime influence, which was so strong in his work, just exploded. And there was an issue that he did where Cannonball, you know, from the New Mutants, uh, was battling Gladiator, and it is a stunning, amazing, you know, comic book of 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 power, and it felt like a Dragon Ball comic. Two superpowered individuals flying, you know, high above uh, the city and in the air, and and you know, it's just, I was like, wow. And again, his his approach, his very distinct. Uh, manga and anime style because unlike what we were doing with the big shots and the way we would design the pages to to enhance big faces and big figures he understood how to do all that but he was drawing more like star blazers and macross and captain harlock that anime style that you associate with japanese animation than anybody had ever seen and doing it spectacularly in a way that it was the most accepted that I'd ever seen anything and people went for it. Now there was some rumblings at the time as the, as the transition happened because people <clears throat> really liked their traditional Jim Lee. I've used this word a hundred times today, but again, aesthetic, they really liked that look on the X-Men. And then Joe Mad came in and was bold enough to change everybody's mind because he just was relentless. <clears throat> what comes next is, is really key because and we'll cover this in part two, is the greatest trick Joe Mad ever uh, pulled. And he really got everyone to look in one direction when what he was doing was completely and totally in the manga anime zone. 
and we are going to get to Joe Mad and the ridiculous success and impact of Battle Chasers in our very next episode as we do the Manga Manifest Part 2. Now, I mentioned at the top of this when I was discussing the Harmony Gold, the Wolfpack show on Paramount+. Plus. I desperately want you guys to check this show out. It is more like a comic book, uh, more in that New Mutants X-Men vein than, than you could possibly imagine. It, it dances between the supernatural and the superhero and superpowers, and it's cool. And yes, of course, uh, I, I've told you, uh, you can look for my son uh, to appear in the show, but I'm telling you, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Rodrigo Santoro, uh, a fresh batch of faces and characters that you're going you're gonna to absolutely dig by Jeff Davis of Criminal Minds and Teen Wolf fame. Uh, he is writing some amazing scripts. Uh, you might not have Paramount Plus. You might have it only to watch your Yellowstone universe, your your Tulsa King, your 1923, your 1883. Maybe maybe that's the case. But you should definitely give Wolfpack a shot. It is exciting having seen uh, more of it than than I can let on. I think you're going to totally dig it. Make sure you give it a shot. It's it's completely worth it. That is my my plug plug plug. What else am I going to do? You can say Liefeld, you're just doing that. Uh, because your son's involved. Hey, even if that's the case, then I'm a great dad. And I'm telling you, check that out. Check out Paramount Plus. Check out the premiere of Wolfpack and and stay tuned and watch it through its um, entire seasons. I, gar- I guarantee you, you will not regret if you um, take this Wolfpack ride and see it through to its fruition. You guys all are are probably very aware at the end of every episode, I share with you the reviews that you guys leave with us. Um, you're so generous in leaving these reviews. I'm always able to grab a, a new review and, and read it at the end of every episode. And once again, it cannot be overstated how much these mean to, to, to not myself, but everybody who works on the show and the way that it positions us on all the different platforms, the five stars, the positive reviews. You guys are spectacular. I cannot even begin to thank you enough. And today I am going to read this review from Bababui Fafafui. Yes, you heard me right. I'm not going to spell it. From Bababui Fafafui. He says, the best, amb- am- the best ambassador to comics. Five stars. I loved Rob's stuff in the 90s. His enthusiasm for comics has transformed from the comic page to the spoken word. The history, the insider knowledge, the insight, the opinions with reasoning, and more make this series exciting while educational. I can listen to this for hours. It feels like he is having a one-on-one conversation with each and every listener. Keep them coming, Rob. I'll keep listening. Okay. (laughs) You know, I would... uh, if my parents had not departed this earth, I would think that they were the ones writing these and sending them in under false pretenses. They are so ridiculously kind and generous. Thank you, Baba Bui, Fafa Fui, for that um, super sweet uh, review. Look, I, I try and just talk into this, Mike, as if you're right there. I, I, I have no radio training or anything. I turn on this podcast in the loneliness of our pandemic and... Uh, just started talking about comic books and, and, and a subject that is near and dear to me and my, my my love for this medium. And I'm so glad that I'm able to share it with so many of you. Thank you so much for each and every review that you guys leave for me. As you know, I am all over social media. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, continuous. I have that blue check for verification. It tells you it's really me. Uh, I love talking to you guys, sharing thoughts, ideas, um, art, all of the ways that we communicate on Twitter. I, I appreciate it so much. If you would give me a follow uh, and, and give me a shout out, I, I, I'll, I'll shout you back. I'm, I'm pretty conversational uh, over on that platform more than maybe any other. So on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. Over on Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I have my kind of photo dump of my life, the, the, the stuff that I'm doing, the stuff that I'm drawing, the food that I'm liking, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an Instagram, uh, nerd, but I I love it, but I I have no idea what I'm doing. I just, when I feel it, I share it on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. I was able to get my, my, my Rob Liefeld moniker on there early enough. Thanks to my wife turning me onto the platform at Rob Liefeld. Again, another blue check. It'll tell you it's really me. I love reading your comments, uh, your mentions, your DMs. Uh, again, there's a whole bunch of conversations going on over there, and I appreciate and I thank you for all of the different sharing and uh, 
back and forth that we engage in over on Instagram. I am on an app called Whatnot, and Whatnot is where all the action is in the collectible market. I mean, right now, uh, it is exploding, and people are signing on, and they're they're jumping on this, uh, and, and they are sharing all of their different... Uh, you know, signed comic books, signed slabbed comic books, signed comic books, toys, anime, manga, so much of the stuff that we covered today, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, they got sports, jerseys, kicks, you know, the the shoes, all of it. Whatnot is an app that you download, you you join, and then you're going to be in hundreds of rooms of people selling you different, uh, uh, really a global marketplace of collectible items from comic books to artwork to Funko Pops to toys. On my profile rob liefeld follow me at rob liefeld you'll get notifications when i go live and i share my own signed custom comics toys original art and funko pops i never drew on a funko pop window and did a you know uh, with paint pens and drew deadpool before until i joined whatnot but now i do it with great regularity and they're all customized they're one of ones when we put them up it's an auction format uh my original art my comic books many um uh of my Variants are now whatnot variants. Whatnot has partnered with we, we partnered with me. We did a number of brigade variants that you can only find on whatnot. We did a number of Deadpool New Mutants variants and a number of Spider-Man variants. You should check me out. Follow me over Rob Liefeld on whatnot. You'll get a notification uh, probably 24 hours in advance before I'm going to go do a show. And I would love for you to join us. We are getting new people all the time. New um. New people are jumping on our feeds and and it's exciting. And the shock is that so many of you have told me that it is this plug right here on the podcast that is what what is alerting you to it. So I thank you and uh, join me over on whatnot. Generally, I do two shows a week. You just have to follow me to find out when I'm going to um, schedule those shows in a very busy and ever-changing schedule. Over on Facebook, I have a group. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is a growing community that uh, is a couple years old that we just continue to um, build a a great community over there. And if you go on Facebook and look for Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the name of the group. You will either be clicked in by myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. We are the moderators, the administrators. We're the ones that will get you to the other side. And then you can start posting and joining with the rest of us, talking about comic books, the stuff that I've created, the stuff that I've worked on, um, it's 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 super fun, and and I would love for you to join us over there for a continued, maybe a more intimate experience than maybe what we're experiencing here on the podcast. Also, over on whatnot, I am talking to you during the entire uh, whatnot experience when I go live and I share all my stuff with you guys. It's me talking right at you. Some people have said it's an extension of this podcast. I'm not sure that is exactly the case, but it's very candid. And uh, we're having a lot of fun. So thank you. You know, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, whatnot, or Facebook, um, you can reach me uh, personally across these glorious social media uh, platforms. It's the the bonus of social media is that it has drawn us so much closer together. I am not doing conventions. I haven't done conventions uh, in six months. I'm not going to be doing them for probably another six, seven months, but I can reach so many of you just, you know, uh, through these apps and through these interactions. So I appreciate, you know, just checking you guys all out and I and I thank you for all the follows, whatever it is, on whatever whichever platform. As always, I just want to wish you the very best and I hope that your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, and your spiritual health are being met and and uh you know, the world is crazy and you need to dial it down. And I tell you at the end of every episode, that's what I do. I plot myself on my recliner, on my one of my very now very plump bean bags that I, I I put fresh beans in all of them to to give them a little more support. They were getting flatter than a pancake, but now they are robust. Um, and and I grab a graphic novel. I grab a Firestone book, like the ones I talked about on my Firestone uh, uh, episode, where I talk about the Marvel Firestone collections of the seventies. I grab my omnibus. I grab one of the comics off my spinner rack. Uh, you know, I watch a cool streaming show. And get, look, guys, I I I can do junk food with the best of us. Um, I, you know, a a peanut butter cup a day is, is the way I function. Uh, it's embarrassing, but my kids, my, my family will all attest to it. Uh, you know, a good bag of chips, uh, you know, just combine that cheat day with, with cupcakes, your your cheat day where you're going to in just intake great sci-fi, great fantasy, uh, great manga, great comic books. Combine that with a cupcake, a candy bar, 
uh, you know, look, a taco, some nachos. I, I'm all for it. I, I, I love all, all the foods. And, uh, and just reward yourself because the grind can really just lay out the best of us. And, and take that time, whether it's an hour, two hours, three hours, 30 minutes, whatever you can, to just escape and feed yourself uh, with all of these different indulgences because that's what I do and that's what I wish because it, it gets me going. And I just am hoping that you can keep going the way I'm keeping, keeping going. And you know what? I'm going to keep going until I see you again. Please swing back around. I will most assuredly, absolutely, inevitably be here waiting to talk again real soon.